Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Oh, man. 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 Hey, hello, how are you? How you guys doing? Uh, this is the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast. I believe this is episode four now. So, hey, how's it going? Um, we're about four episodes in, so a solid month into official podcast recordings. Uh, give me one second. My tablet's acting up. Okay, there we go. Uh, I want to say sorry again. I got to use my uh, Bluetooth headset to record this because my regular headset, my gaming headset, recently broke. So I believe, like, if I speak into it, like, people would be able to hear me, but I can't hear audio. So I just don't want to use them because that's going to make, like, recording and hearing things out, like, really messy. And I don't even, because I can't hear it, first of all, so I have to unplug the headset every time to, like, listen over things. So, those are getting retired. Uh, hopefully, when I get uh, when I get paid, if I have the money, I'll just buy something like cheap, really quick, but something wired. The Bluetooths don't work too well for recording. Like everything feels kind of like sounds kind of like choppy here and there. I like went over here in the intro. Also got a better intro of Hose Mad, Dragon Quest Virgin. So I hope you guys noticed that, but it it did sound a little choppy, and my audio probably sounds a little choppy right now, but it's just something I'm going to have to deal with. Hopefully I'll get a new headset before next Friday's uh, podcast, but if not, then whatever. This also slowed down streaming because I couldn't stream because I didn't have a headset. Big bummers, but uh, I'll figure it out. So real quick, just going over what we're going to be talking about today, I wanted to talk about uh, the story I'm actually working on, Another Random Tale. And the whole idea of making this company called Art Project. So I'm just going to go over like basic plot of Art Project, the characters, just basic things about it. Just stuff to try to like uh, give you a better picture of what I'm trying to create. And this is a little, um, actually scripted. It's not like super duper scripted because I know my story well enough. But I wanted to get some stuff at least written down that way... Uh, I wouldn't be rambling about it, because I, t- I do tend to ramble, like that's something about me. Um, but let's not waste any more time, we're going to just transfer into the next segment, and just start talking about another random tale. Man, this chair is squeaky as fuck. Okay, so um, another random tale. I started writing another random tale, like or at least starting planning and working on it, way, way back in... I want to say 2013. I don't think it was directly after I went into college. So it wasn't 2012, but probably at some point in 2013. So it's been almost six years now since I've been working on the story. It's been a slow burn. It's definitely been a slow burn. And the reason why it's taken me so long to get things together and the only reason why things have been getting going as of like late 2017 to now is just because life... You know, (laughs) 
Uh, I started college right after I graduated high school, and I was in college all the way until halfway through 2016, and then I ended up, like, I, I stopped going because I was working full-time. I wanted the hours. I wanted more money, and I wanted more free time, and it was hard to do that and work and write and go to school. So I had to, you know, I, I took school out because also I'm at that point, Doing all those things, I could feel myself not really taking school as serious. So if I wasn't focused on it, I didn't want to waste any of my time doing that, knowing that I wasn't going to do well. I do want to go back to school, and I've been thinking about it a lot more lately. I probably want to do a trade school, something that can, you know, land me a nice job with some good knowledge and a better paycheck. But that, that's for the future right now. I'm thinking about the now, and that's... Uh, bringing growth to another random talent art, art project. So I started writing in it about 2013. Uh, I've always been writing since, I want to say, sixth grade. So that's like late 2005, uh, 2006 I started writing. And I wanted to do so because I didn't have a lot of access to like cable television. Like we, we didn't have that stuff. We had like bootleg cable every now and then. And so I missed out on a lot of stories. They're doing yard work again every time that I podcast down here. Um, okay. But I wasn't, I didn't have access to like shows and like anime and cartoons and stuff that my friends are talking about. I didn't have a computer. We didn't have internet, anything like that. So everything I got into, I got into through like, oh, cool, a VHS tape with some anime on it or this and that or that and this, or we would have cable for like a year and I, I could watch it. And I was just kind of like my access to it. So I was feeling kind of like left out essentially. So I decided I was, I wanted to create my own stories. And that was one of the, the reasons. And I just, at that point in life, was really liking stories as well. So it kind of just all came together. And from that point forward, I was like, I want to be a writer. I want to make stories. I want to create. And so I've been doing that since then. So I've I've written a couple stories. None of them were like ever finished. They're just like, you know, old things. I had a story like this. I had a story like that. Such and such, such and such. Um, few volumes and like little Spartan yellow notebooks for one story. Another one, they were uh, the the black composition books, the the two hundred page ones. I would fill those up, and I had another story that went, and I wrote like three or four books full of those and then that idea got scrapped and it's kind of that's just kind of how it's been like I always end up scrapping an idea after a while just because I feel like it could be better or I could do better or I have a better idea for it so ideas from older stories kind of kind of stay with me even if I scrap the story idea altogether and so when I started working on Another Random Tale before it was called Another Random Tale a lot of the elements from older stories, like, it's probably three really major ones I was getting into before I scrapped. Uh, there was the first one from that I wrote from uh, sixth grade to almost near the end of seventh grade. The second one I was writing, I started near the end of seventh grade all the way to early ninth grade. And then the third one... I did from halfway through ninth grade or late into ninth grade and then at the start of or halfway through 10th grade. And then for a while, I just kind of went 
in and out of story writing. Like I would make short stories because I took a creative writing class in my junior and senior year. Uh, I would have story ideas, but I never really, they never really went farther than like planning process. Cause like I said, I always just had better ideas to expand upon or just got a better piece of inspiration. I, I, I get a lot of like ideas in my head. I'm not, I'm not trying to like gloat or like flex, like, Oh, I'm creative. But my brain kind of just has a lot of like ideas going through it all at once at all times. So it's hard for me to pin an idea down before I start like writing a plan because there's too much going on at once. And sometimes you just need to like step away, take a breath, clear your head and not think about it or not work on it for a minute. And you kind of clear the clutter in your mind. And that's how I usually pin down like, this is the idea I want to use. Because if I don't do that, for like a week, I have 30 ideas jumbled in my head all at once, and I can't write anything down because too many things are being said in my head all at the same time. And it's the planning becomes incoherent, inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. It's messy. It's sloppy. So it, it takes me a while before I have a story fully planned out in my head to the point where I could write it down. And I, I that sounds weird because, you know, you're supposed to write your story ideas down anything that pops into your mind, but it's hard for me to write stuff down until I really have it pinpointed or else it comes out as a jumbled mess and then it ends up getting scrapped. So with another random tale, I, at that point in college, I took a creative writing class during my second semester and I ended up dropping it really early just because the information, I I went to community college. I went to Long Beach city college. Um, the reason why I dropped it is because the information I was getting from the class was information I already knew. Everything that they were teaching me, even like the, the outlines for how the course was going to go throughout the semester was the exact same thing that I had just experienced during my last two years of high school. And I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, like, Oh, I already did this. It's, it was literally the same thing. So I think, uh, my high school creative writing teacher, shout outs to Mr. Van, uh, he was setting us up for, for college level stuff because the class was the exact same format and outline. Like, it's like, oh, we're going to do poetry, then we're going to do, uh, short stories, then kind of like prose and other rhetoric, script writing, things like that. And that was exactly how my creative writing classes in my junior and senior year went down. It was the exact same thing. Things I already knew from poetry, short story writing, script writing. It was stuff I already knew. So I just ended up dropping the class also because that and like another, there was another creative writing class at LBCC at the time, but those were the only two classes. So I was, I was just assuming like this is just going to be regurgitated information that I've already gained. And it's going to not, I'm not going to benefit because I'm not furthering what I can learn. I'm, when I, t- I, when I took creative writing again in senior year, it was the same class I took in junior year. It was the same exact thing. I just felt like I could benefit taking the class again. And the school let me do it. They let me take the class again. And then cool. Uh, and I, I'm glad I did it because I felt like I improved my writing so, so, so much more during my senior year in that class than my junior year. But I didn't want to do that a third time. I was ready to, I felt like I was ready to advance. So I just 
ended up switching my major to communications, but I still was doing story writing. Lo and behold, um, I think as of like three years ago, because I've been out of school for like, I want to say like four years. Um, no, not four years, three years, almost four years. Because I stopped in 2016, it was 2019. So it's been about three years. But I think a bit after I stopped going to school, they added more creative writing classes to, to Long Beach City. There there were so many more, like, specific things. Like, there is a creative writing class dedicated to just poetry. It wasn't, like, an overall thing. And I'm sure there was some dedicated to short stories and script writing. I wish that was there when I was going because that's what I wanted. I could have taken multiples of those classes and gotten ex- just classes focused on one set of writing, one style but, you know, that's my fault. I should have waited. I should have tried. I only got myself to blame. Um, but another random tale came from that because I wanted to write, and I was thinking about writing a new story, and I didn't really have an idea, so I just thought back to other stories, and like I said, it was those three stories that I did a lot of work in, did a couple of volumes in, and then just ended up scrapping. But I, I always had ideas from those older stories, they got transferred along to that next major one. So another random tale, like a lot of stuff that I've wrote for another random tale, is actually stuff and ideas that I've had from older stories. And I feel like at first I was like, oh man, I'm just recycling stuff I scrapped. But at the same time, it's just like these ideas wouldn't have stuck with me so long if I didn't think they were good ideas worth using. Like, the story as a whole may be scrapped, but these ideas weren't. I remember these things clearly, so I just used that as a base to start what I wanted to do, and I just made another random tale. And the way I started it was, I, I knew I wanted another random tale to be a long story. I didn't know how long I wanted it to be, but it was going. it's going to be a long thing. It's going to be... It's going to span a lot of arcs, and it's going to, in their world, span a good few years. So I knew I wanted it to be long. So one of the main things I learned from taking creative writing classes is that if you are making a bigger story, usually you want to create your world and then put your characters in it. And then with with more short story stuff, you want to make the characters and flesh them out as much as possible and then build the world around them based off said characters. So since I was making a bigger story, I I was like, I have to make this world first before I can make people that match with it. Because if the world's going to be big and this is going to be a long story, the characters have to match that focus. They have to feel like this is where they were born and grew up and lived in rather than I'm just throwing people into this world and they don't match up. So when I when I made the world for another random tale, I I decided to use an old idea and have it take place in kind of like an alternate reality Earth. It's it's Earth, but it's not Earth. If I had to label it, it's kind of like think of it as like a mirror universe kind of thing, but not exactly. That that's just what I would say. And I named the planet uh, Thray. The planet's name is Thray. It's Earth backwards, except. Uh, I put the the T before the H. If you were spelling it backwards, it'd be like a T. But you know what I mean. So it's called Thray. 
Uh, that's what the planet's called. And I just made a world around that. I made a whole timeline. I remember one of the first things I did was I created a whole timeline. This is still before I even wrote characters down. I had ideas for characters, but I didn't fully create them yet because I hadn't finished the world. So I made a full timeline, and uh, you can I can send you a message if you want to check out our project's page and see the timeline. It's open to everybody. It's the world history for another random tale and for Thray. But I I used a lot of ideas from the real real world, like the the idea of uh, the supercontinent Pangaea. In really, really early history of the world of Thray, Pangaea was a thing, and there were they were split into seven like territories, like countries or kingdoms with kings. And over time, it just kind of evolved into full scale war, and they just ended up destroying each other. Like the land is, it doesn't, it can't have life, it can't grow anything. It's it's a big war that I wrote in at that point. And it just leads to the point of just destruction of all Pangaea. Pangaea is just this massive wasteland. So a lot of people, a lot of the people that survive leave and move to a new spot. And there's stuff, there's something that happens in between. I'm not going to go too deep into the timeline. I don't want to like focus on that too much. But they end up reaching these large land masses. I don't want to call them islands because a lot of them are just country-sized land masses. And people go to different ones. They're all really close to each other. And people just go to different ones, colonize them, live in them. A lot of them are uninhabited. Uh, well, pretty much most of them are, except for some one specific one. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. But uh, they colonize them, and they make them uh, kingdoms again, and they get new kings. Then they discover a large landmass the size of one of these kingdoms or countries. And... It's like they're all ruins. It's just ruins. So they're studying it, uh, and then it comes into arguments of the different kingdoms, talking about who actually discovered it and gets ownership of said kingdom. And then there was another kingdom that was discovered, which leads into more things, and it leads into another war. Not as big as the first one, but it's still pretty bad. This is where the idea of uh, one of the weird sci-fi supernatural elements I add in called uh, Presence. Presence, I'll get into Presence later, but pretty much this leads to the the birth of people developing mutations over time that lead to them having Presence abilities, and they're essentially elemental powers. I'll get into that in a bit, because two of the main characters are Presence users, but at the end of the war, it only lasts, it only lasts a couple years. Uh, A treaty is signed between all of them to stop having kingdoms, and they kind of become like this weird unified democracy and the kingdoms or countries are now called nations and the the two ruins sites that are found are nations themselves so nobody has to fight over them and there's nine of them so this place is now called the nine nations not the nine nations is where most of another random tale will be taking place and that that's just about it for that. There's other stuff, there's other landmasses, there's other places to be explored, and I'll get into them bit by bit, but that's just, you know, a general idea of how uh, the Nine Nations came to be and why the story mainly takes place there, because most of the world's population lives within the, the Nine Nations. 
So as time goes by after this second war, uh, people with presence abilities are becoming more and more of a thing because not everyone got the mutation, but since the people with mutations are no having getting married and having kids, those kids are born with presence powers, and then their kids are too. So it starts to spread. And it's cool that people have elemental abilities, but a lot of them are using them for crime and criminal activity. So this is how uh, bounty hunters get involved into it. And they used to be a lot more important in the story. They still really, really, really are important to the story, but this used to be presence powers and the original, like, two, the first two drafts of the story, presence powers were the only ability in the world of another random tale, like, that was it. There were only presence powers. You either had presence powers or you didn't in the first draft, and then in the second draft, everyone had presence powers. In the third draft, there's a lot more variety in terms of powers or abilities. So I'll get into that a little bit more, but crime was running rampant. The government really couldn't handle it because these guys were crazy powerful with their abilities, like burning down homes and towns, flooding things, like elemental abilities, essentially, until one dude starts to, you know, take a stand personally for himself. Like, the government was only just managing it, and this guy goes out of his way to take on really tough criminals. He also possesses a presence ability, and he's just crushing it. He's doing a great job, and, like, he builds a legend for himself because he travels the world. And he works outside of the government, but sooner or later, uh, he starts getting paid for doing these jobs. And essentially, he becomes the world's first bounty hunter, and he uh, is the founder of the Bounty Hunters Union, which is an actual separate organization from said government, and they work outside of it. Sometimes the government and the Bounty Hunters Union will team up to do large-scale jobs, but they do not work under the government's jurisdiction in the world of another random tale. They work independently from it, and they take down criminals for bounties. And that's pretty much how it starts. And this man is known as a legend throughout the world in history of the Nine Nations because he essentially is the first one to do it. And his name is uh, George W. North. And he's just a legend of a dude. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone too deeply into his story in terms of uh, actually being talked about in another random tale. I believe he's mentioned several times just because he's such an historic figure. He's more mentioned in the timeline because the, the reason why I have the timeline is a lot of the stuff in the world history of another random tale is just common knowledge. So rather than have, like, exposition dumps stacked on top of, like, things I'm already trying to explain and give to the plot that is information that people already know so why are they explaining it so deeply i made a timeline that goes with the canon of another random tale so if you're ever confused about something you can consult the timeline or consult the glossaries that i have put up at the end of every volume in the script chapters that way you get bits of lore without having it be weirdly added into the plot because one thing that'd be weird, I feel like, if this is common knowledge, why are they talking? Why are they discussing it in such deep detail? This is stuff that already is known. It doesn't need to be explained to anyone. So that's why I made it the way I made it. But yeah, he he thus begins the golden age of bounty hunting, which leads into the silver age of bounty hunting. And now we have bounty hunting ranks. There's basic bounty hunters, 
who are just, you know, the initial ones. They take on low-level criminals. There's uh, class bounty hunters. They're like the middle rank. They have specific titles along with their bounty hunting job, so they do specific missions. So they do tougher missions, but some of them are uh, specialized in certain things like espionage or war tactics and things like that. And then the highest rank is Master Bounty Hunter, which only in the history of Thray, only eight people have achieved. Uh, George being one of them, he was the first Master. And during the Silver Age, we have seven people that become Master Rank Bounty Hunters, all a part of the same team, and they're known as the Seven Masters. Each one of these people is a Master Bounty Hunter in their own right. The greatest Bounty Hunter in the current world of Another Random Tale right now is uh, Clark Clearsmoke. That is his name. He is the strongest person in the world, or at least in the Nine Nations that we know of. And he is a monster and a beast of a person. Uh, same thing with him. A lot of Not a lot has been said in story yet, just because he's not important to the current plot going on. But he is well known. That's why I mainly consult about him in the timeline. But he has been brought up in other people in the seven masters have been brought up as well because they are legendary people they are living legends essentially and it can't be confirmed since george is long since deceased but they say clark clearsmoke's power could rival that of george's so we don't know that for sure also all the seven masters are presence users you can be a bounty hunter and not be a presence user but all of them are all the current master ranked ones are so that's just how it's written. And now we get to what is labeled as more of the Bronze Age, since the Seven Masters have split up due to a certain event happening very recently before the start of another Random Tales story. And the Bronze Age leads us into our main character. And so I'm going to quickly go over kind of like the basic plot and start of another Random Tale officially. But these are all... Th- all that stuff I was talking about before was just what led up to the creation of it, how I thought of the world, how I formed everything, why there's a timeline and things like that. So I'm going to get into the, the basic plot of it. So the basic plot is pretty straightforward. Our main character is a boy named Casey K.J. Smith. He lives in the central nation of the Nine Nations called Compass Star. Compass Star is a very urbanized city-based nation. And he lives in West City at the top of this hill on near the edge of West City where he lives with his mom, dad, and his sister who used to live there. But I'll get into her in a second. And the house doubles as a blacksmithing place. And blacksmiths, I made a little different on here for just convenience of the story. Blacksmiths in the world of Another Random Tale smith a lot of different things just besides weapons and armors and things like that. They can craft these large airships that are called LASSES, and it's an acronym that stands for Land, Air, Sea Ship, because a LASS can travel through land or through air or through sea. That's what it's built for. And I've always liked the idea of airships, so I kind of thought I'd put a little twist on it instead of just making them airships, but they're, they're known to craft those and other varieties of things. So uh, the Smiths are a family of blacksmiths. So KJ works as a blacksmith apprentice under his dad, Cameron Smith. And then his mom also works at the blacksmith shop. Her name is Casey Smith. So KJ is actually named after his mom because he's the younger brother. 
or the younger sibling. Uh, KJ's older sister is Cameron C.J. Smith. She was the firstborn. She was born seven years before KJ. They weren't expecting to get another kid, so they named C.J. after Cameron. So they named Casey after, or KJ after Casey. So that's kind of the relationship between the two siblings. Uh, KJ's 14 currently at the start of the story. He's, like I said, a blacksmith apprentice. He works hard every day with his dad, learning the ways of smithing using giant fucking mallets. And he just lives his daily life out there. Uh, the way I start the story is KJ's at kind of like a point in his life where I feel like a lot of people at the age of 13, 14, 15 get, they kind of get angsty and they kind of thirst for meaning. I don't want to say everyone at that point does, but I know I did and a lot of my friends at the age of around 14, 15 felt that kind of way. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I crave. And we we wanted a meaning, like, for our future, like something that defined us. So that's the whole start of KJ's journey here in Another Random Tale. He's gotten to the age where he he wants meaning. He wants a goal. He desires that. But he doesn't know what he wants quite yet. What he does know is he doesn't want to stay in town in West City, grow up, and then just inherit the blacksmithing business. He doesn't want that to end up being his future. But also, he still doesn't quite know what he wants other than that. So that's the crossroads he's come to. And he's kind of very angsty. He's a, he's a bright kid, but he's very gullible, very uh, shy, kind of think doesn't think before he leaps, even though he should. He has a lot of hindsight moments. And I wanted that to be his personality because I feel like a lot of young kids, especially from my age, me and my friends were like that. We were really gullible. We're smart, but we didn't think a lot before we acted. And that's KJ's personality, pretty much. Uh, so he starts thinking about maybe seeing his sister again, because he hasn't seen her since she left. She does send, you know, letters and postcards every now and then, but they haven't gotten any in a while. She's seven years older than KJ, so she left home when she was 14, even though her their mom, Casey, did not want her leaving. <laughs> uh, CJ is very strong-willed, from what I've shown so or talked about so far in the the story of another random tale and hard-headed so she got her way and she left to become a bounty hunter so it's been seven years now so she's about adult age but they haven't she hasn't visited home since she left like i said she just sent letters and kj does miss her he really looked up to her as a inspiration and she always knew what she wanted to do like she's always wanted to be a bounty hunter for the longest so he kind of gets the idea in his head that if he can find his sister, then maybe she can help him find meaning in his life. So he's looking for meaning through someone else. And I feel like it fits his character a lot because he's a very gullible kind of guy and a very naive and young young kid. And since he's at that point, he's like, oh, this person will tell me what to do. And I feel like even back then when people like kids my age rebelled, we still were looking for someone to tell us what to do, just not our parents or like teachers. We were looking for someone to look up to. And so KJ looks up to her and he misses her. So he gets that idea in his head 
but he doesn't know if it's really going to work out because he's he's kind of a soft kid. He's never been in a fight in his life. He's a skinny dude, uh, frail, short, and he is not ready for the outside world. He, Like I said, he's really naive and clueless about what's really going on out in the world. So he knows his mom would never go for it. His dad, even though he wants, you know, KJ to live freely and live his life, he's like, yeah, dude, your mom would never go for it. So he's thinking, oh, man, I might be stuck here until I'm 18. And he doesn't know what to do. And he kind of is just bummed out about it. So eventually at the end of the workday, he's going into town to pick up some stuff for dinner for his mom to cook. And... He's heading into town, and I kind of flip it over to a different character. This other character is going to be the trigger that starts KJ's adventure. Her name is Mary Jane Scarlet. Mary Jane Scarlet is 13. She's only a few months younger than KJ, and she is a basic bounty hunter, like a rookie bounty hunter. She's been a bounty hunter for about a year. Tough girl, and initially with her, I'll get into more of her later, but she's a very aggressive, brash kind of person from what we I show in the, the first chapter or two. And she's on the chase of uh, a criminal. But this criminal looks really abnormal, large dude in a weird kind of like crooked, wrinkled, busted up suit. And he has really, really, really... <coughs> oh, excuse me, Jesus... I don't know where that cough from. He has really, really, really pale skin. Like, he looks sickly. It's not like, oh, he looks like a white dude. It's more like, he looks like the color white. You know, like, when you go into somebody's house and they have their walls painted white, he looks, that's his skin tone. And he has these weird yellow eyes. And he's running down the street. People are freaking out. Mary Jane's trying to catch him. She's aggravated. She's exhausted. She's yelling at people. And that's kind of all the context I give because... A collision's about to happen. So KJ's in the store. He's kind of lost in space trying to think of what he should do. Doesn't know what he should do with his life. And during the chase and fight that Mary Jane has with said criminal, they bust through the grocery store. And as KJ is not paying attention, this criminal scoops him up and uses him as a hostage. It's only then that he realizes what's going on. He starts to freak out. Mary Jane starts to freak out. They're arguing. And they're on the chase. He's on the uh, Mary Jane's on the chase of the criminal again with KJ tightly grasped in his hand as a hostage. They end up running towards the hill towards his house. And I don't want to keep going with it because I don't want to spoil a lot. But the first chapter is pretty much ends where uh, KJ gets held hostage. And the second chapter goes from there. And we get our first hints of action such and such, things like that. And after a few little bits, KJ and Mary Jane essentially make a deal. Since KJ is partly responsible responsible for the criminal getting away, he offers to help her by using uh, his father's last that he has been practicing piloting. They, he, KJ's, uh, Cameron, you know, helps him pilot it every now and then. He's had practice. He's read books about it. And he's super interested in piloting a lot and flying the ship into the sky and all of that. So he agrees to help her by uh, flying her into the next city so they can catch up to this criminal as fast as they can. And in return, 
Mary Jane will help him, you know, learn the ways of becoming a bounty hunter so he can be strong enough to travel and find his sister. So they agree to this little deal, and that is the start of the story officially, but it spirals into something much deeper. And maybe I'll go over the plot in a little bit, but I want to just discuss a lot of the main characters. But it that that's the beginning. I It's essentially really cliche, but I wanted it to be cliche because the way the story starts and kind of the idea of having like this adventure and this coming of age kind of feeling story came from inspiration I had playing like old school RPGs and JRPGs and like older adventure anime and manga and stuff like that. It's it's a parody slash love letter kind of thing. That's what I describe it as. Because I really loved growing up on those stories, and I really loved reading them, and the excitement of adventure and the thrill of exploring the world, and how it reflects someone in real life growing up and seeing the world around them. Even though there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of good. And that's that's essentially what I want KJ's journey to be. I want him to... It's it's a journey of going from boyhood to manhood and finding the meaning in your life and what you should be doing or how you feel you should be doing something. And that's that's kind of the idea behind it. But real quick, I just want to go over the characters. The cast is seven people strong. This does kind of spoil things for the story, but at the same time, on the page, the cover of the page is all the characters, all the main characters. are. That's my profile picture on Art Project's page. So it's just like, you're already going to see them, and most of them, or six out of seven of them, are revealed in Volume 1. I mean, KJ and Mary Jane are two of them, and that was the first chapter we were introduced to them. So it's kind of how the first volume goes. It's the longest volume I've written in terms of script chapters. It's 11 chapters. And it's just the introduction to the world and to these people. And then the plot kind of thickens from there. And volume at the start of Volume 2, we're immediately introduced to the seventh uh, member of the team. So they're all introduced pretty early in, and then plot goes from there. I wanted to introduce them early in just to give an initial, like, view of the cast. Kind of like how video games are. It's just like, here's this character, and here's this character, and here's this character... And then, as the story continues and the plot grows, we get to know more about them, and we get to learn more about their past and backstories and things like that, and get overall growth from them, because I like that in stories, especially games, and I think it goes along with uh, how real people are, because when you meet a person, you base who they are off of the most straightforward, like, most dominant personality trait that's kind of being shown off from them. So if you meet somebody that's really high energy and really like kind of like in your face, just like excited for everything, that's how you're going to view that person the first few times you see them. But the more you see them, the more you're going to learn about them and you're going to see other emotions from them, other personality traits, and they kind of grow. So I kind of like the idea of characters starting off a little flat and then as the story progresses, they they just build into this thing. And they even grow as people from after you fully get to know them. There's more after that. Because that's how you get to know people in real life. I, I know a lot of people that meet me, especially nowadays. I'm a very reserved person, but I'm a chill dude once you get to know me. People see me as uh, really standoffish, really quiet. 
but hang out with me like a couple of times. I I'm really talkative. I like discussing like nerd things. I like discussing, debating, just having a nice chat. But you wouldn't know that from me initially, just because I don't talk a lot if I don't know you very well. And it's just kind of me, kind of a very reserved person on the surface. And so that's what I kind of base the idea of uh, getting to know people. Jesus Christ, my phone is blowing up with messages. I don't know where that came from. But um, that's kind of just how I am on as a person, so that's how I reflect the characters. You kind of get this initial boom in your face personality trait, kind of over exaggerated like caricature idea, and then as the story progresses, you get to know more. But um, so for our main characters, we have KJ, like I said, fourteen year old, very gullible, very clueless kind of kid. Even though he's smart and intelligent, scrawny looking, weak looking, never had a fight in his life, so he's very inexperienced. He is the main character of the story, but he is also the weakest member of the team. And I did that on purpose because I want him growing stronger as a person to go along with his growth as a character. And I tend to really like characters. I am very uh, open about liking kind of like the underdog, the one you don't expect to win to win. But I also want to make it feel... his. I want to make his growth feel realistic. I don't want to drastically be like... By the end of these two arcs, he's now the strongest member of the team. Nah, nah, nah. It's going to be a while before KJ becomes a lot more powerful to show that he is the leader of the team and that he can be the strongest person there. At least that's how I plan it. I don't plan to make him just all of a sudden get this power boost and be the strongest member of the team right off the bat. Or just even like after this first arc, maybe. That's just kind of the way that I wrote him. It gives me a lot of, like, space to flesh out his character. Because, like I said, I want his character growth to be... To go hand-in-hand with his growth as, like, a fighter. And I kind of went over him a lot just going over the first two chapters. So I won't go too much deeper. Um, Just to let you know, KJ is a presence user. KJ's presence type is Chi. There are seven presence types. There's Chi, which is energy. Uh, Then there you got your fire, your water your earth, your air, electricity, and kind of uh, nature. I separated nature from earth because there's also kind of like subcategory things to it. Like, if you had ice powers, it'd still fall under the water presence type. You know what I mean? So I separated earth and nature because nature's going to have a lot of things that have variety separate from earth, like healing powers and things like that. So that's how it goes. KJ's presence type is energy. It's just non-elemental, pure energy. Uh, and his weapon of choice is his giant mallet that he uses for his blacksmithing. His fighting style is called the Smith Family Movements. It's a fighting style he made, and it's based off of the blacksmithing experience he has alongside learning about the olden ways of fighting that his family members essentially did, his ancestors. And they would use giant mallets, and this is before presence. So the idea is based off of uh, their blacksmithing technique into a fighting technique. So they would take potential energy that they would do, that they would build up through like their movements, twirling the mallet, shuffling their feet, things like that. And upon striking, they would turn that uh, potential energy into kinetic energy. And they would use the rebound of the strike to continue keeping up with that momentum. So essentially... 
the more KJ lands like strikes, even if they're blocked or something, the more he makes contact with something, the more momentum he gains and the more powerful his next attack could be. He just has to learn to balance it out. He's still very sloppy with the style. His uh, spin on it is that instead of just using simple, the simple idea of kinetic or potential and kinetic energy, he uses his presence as the idea for potential and kinetic energy. So as he's doing these movements, he's building up presence within like the base of the mallet staff, and when he strikes, he sends that energy up and up to the mallet's head. So upon impact, there's a burst of presence that hits the opponent, and then that presence rebounds back, back down to the base of the mallet staff, and he does another movement to do another swing and keep up his momentum and speed. So that's the that's the basic idea I have for KJ's uh, fighting style. He has one special move, and it's called, so far, it's called the first movement. This is a very basic, straightforward kind of attack. Instead of swinging the mallet, he thrusts it forward, like with the mallet head kind of like pointed forward as if it were a spear. And upon the top of the mallet head making contact with an enemy, a large burst of presence is rebounded into it. So it's pretty much like a heavy strike. Just a straightforward, like, stabbing strike, just with a mallet head. And it costs a lot of presence, so KJ usually gets really exhausted afterwards. And... He has to learn how to do better with his presence control because he lots a lot of lets a lot of his energy leak out when he does attacks. Also, if he misses, since that energy had nowhere to go, it doesn't rebound; it just kind of dissipates. So he has to be careful with his style. He has to make sure every hit at least makes contact, even if it's a block. And just a general quick go through of presence. It's called presence because it it can be felt by other people with a presence. So. KJ can feel Mary Jane's presence and vice versa. And it's just kind of like their aura. And anyone can see an aura. It's it's the manifestation of said energy. Like, Mary Jane uses fire, so I made hers pretty much red. And sometimes it'll have shapes. Mary Jane's shape, presence shape for her aura is an eyeball. And I'll get into why that is in just a second. KJ's is aura is clear in kind of like a crystal glass kind of thing. And his present shape is the form of uh, his family crest, the Smith family crest. So usually a present shape represents a character's like personality or something about their life. So over time, it can change into different things depending on that person's growth. But the aura color usually always remains the same. So yeah, that's, that's KJ pretty much. And, you know, like I said, his goal is to find his sister so she can help him find purpose. Which is a really naive goal, but that's the idea of it. <laughs> and uh, so next up we have Mary Jane. Like I said, initially Mary Jane's a very uh, brash-seeming kind of character. She seems very aggressive, very loud, uh, cusses a lot for her age. But Mary Jane's also just kind of stressed out <laughs> with her job as a bounty hunter. She just wants things to be simple, do the job, get the money, go home. And it doesn't always end up like that, and it frustrates her beyond belief. People can't just be straight up with her, and that frustrates her. She has a temper. She definitely has a temper. But she's a very loyal kind of person. She's always going to have your back once uh, she knows you're an ally or a friend. And she she's, she's definitely on the side of good, even though she might not act like she'll... She, she might act like she won't keep you safe, 
But if you're an innocent person, she definitely will protect you. Uh, Mary Jane has one eye, so she wears an eye patch. Mary Jane has this eye patch for reasons that have not been revealed yet as of the script chapter. So if you want to learn more about Mary Jane, you might want to read the script chapter so give me some feedback. Um, but yeah, Mary, that's that's basic. That's the basics of Mary Jane's personality. Like I said, they just kind of start off over dramatic caricatures, and as you as the story goes on, we see, you know, more of that person. So they develop as a whole. Uh, Mary Jane is a swordsman. She uses a long sword, and that that's essentially her sword style. She slashes it up. Mary Jane is also a presence user. Like I said before, her presence type is Inferno, so it is fire. Uh, her basic, basically, her style is called. <laughs> Why did I do that? Her fighting style is called Scarlet Fever, and sometimes people also use that as her bounty hunting nickname, which she always goes over it not being her bounty hunting nickname. It's the name of her fighting style. Pretty much, Scarlet Fever. What it does is light. Mary Jane's blade ablaze. That is uh, the ability of her presence. Uh, items that she holds, she can set on fire without doing too much damage to them. It depends on their durability. And the flames, also, her own flames will also not hurt herself. So the fire sword, overall damage increase, also can burn people through slashing them. And that's how her presence basically works. And it also works with uh, shaping around said weapon, kind of like manipulation through using an item as a conduit. She just uses a sword because she is a swordsman. So one of her uh, one of her techniques that we know, it's her signature ch- technique, it is called uh, Trailblazer. Trailblazer is a basic move. She swings her sword horizontally, vertically, diagonally. You know, she does a sword slash. But the flames around the blade of the sword extend as if it was an extension of the blade, allowing her to cut somebody and burn them from a distance. She can also use it as a vault, so she can point her sword towards the ground, use Trailblazer, and shoot herself into the air, vault herself backwards by pointing into the ground, like, kind of angled to, like, shoot herself back from attacks, things of that nature, stab someone from a distance with burning, piercing strikes. It's her favorite move to use because it's the easiest to just stack on top of her basic fighting style. So that was pretty much the idea of it. I actually got the idea of uh, the Scarlet Fever technique through uh, Kuwabara from Yu Yu Hakusho because Kuwabara's actual ability is energy manipulation. It's just he chose the form of a sword because <laughs> because of uh, his fight in the Genkai tournament with Homeboy with the blessed wooden sword dipped in holy water and whatnot. It was, like, blessed in, like, holy water, and it was cut, carved from, like, this holy tree. And Kuwabara was getting whacked with it, and a piece of it broke off. So when Kuwabara picks it up and dude went to attack him again, his psychic energy naturally manifests itself, and it forms the shape of a sword because he's holding a piece of the sword. So that's Kuwabara's go-to weapon, but his power is actually energy manipulation, which is why he can have the spirit sword grow longer, be a vault, bend like a whip, Spirit fly swatter, things like that. <laughs> so the idea of Mary Jane's powers are kind of like based off that idea because I really like that idea. Kulabar is my favorite character. I really like the idea of his energy manipulation. 
So Mary Jane's power is kind of based off of that, but with fire. Uh, she also has another move called uh, Pathfinder. This is a weird one, and it's different from Trailblazer drastically because it's more of a support ability. She uh, opens up her eye patch, and instead of seeing an empty eye socket, there's like fire where her eye should be. And this acts kind of like as a heat seeker. So if somebody's hiding, she can search them out, uh, find them through body heat and things like that. It also targets weak points uh, when bursts of energy are about to happen. So if a presence user is about to exert a lot of energy, it probably exerts a lot of heat. So she can target that moment, be able to evade an attack more sharply, more smoothly. So that's Mary Jane. Uh, so we got other characters. So next up is Violet. Violet, I really like making. KJ, Mary Jane, and Violet are probably my three favorite characters. Uh, Violet is about 17, 18 years old. She is a martial artist that used to that was that used to grow up at a temple. She trained as a monk, and now for some reason she's traveling the world. She's also a very young alcoholic. <laughs> um, really tough girl though. She's known as the Violet Violet the Violet Violet. That is her nickname from underground street fights. Uh, her whole thing is purple, of course. And she's also uh, one of the newer things I made in the third draft of the story instead of a presence type. She is a race of people known as Beastmen, or Animen, as they're called now. Animen are humanoid animals, essentially. You know what Beastmen are and Animen are. We've seen them in different kinds of anime and comic series. I like the idea, and I use it for that. If you want to learn more about the evolution of Beastmen, or animals to Beastmen to Animen, and their history, it's all in the timeline of Thray. They also have their own kingdom, large continent place, and that's also in the timeline of Thray, as well as the world map of Thray, so you can learn more about that. But yes, Violet is a beastman, and beastmen pretty much have, they look just like humans, or not beastmen, animate. Beastmen are like, kind of like cavemen, the cavemen evolutionary stage of animen. Animen look a lot more human. They pretty much look human besides a few animal-like qualities. Like for Violet, for example, Violet does have fangs, and she's, but she's a rabbit animal. So she has bunny ears instead of regular ears. <laughs> and her hair is purple. Her eyes are purple. And basic things for animen, uh, they have enhanced strength. They have enhanced durability and speed, which is why she's a martial artist. It just kind of fits her character. And that's how I've always written her throughout the different drafts, even before she was an animan. So she's super powerful, and but she's she hasn't completed her martial arts training. Why she left the temple, no one knows. At least not yet. Uh, her personality, she's the very spazzy character. She's pretty much kind of like the comic relief, but she's also super, super strong. Um, she also has larger feet. Like I said, she's a rabbit animan. And she practiced at a temple with her dad actually being the head monk. So their fighting style is based off using their enhanced animan strength and speed to do strikes. So one of uh, Violet's moves, her most basic technique, is pretty much she springs off her large feet and bounces off of things to generate more and more speed. So the more she bounces off of things, the more speed she generates. And her feet are powerful, so the first leap is automatically giving her a drastic speed boost. And she uses this 
to confuse opponents and then strike them when they can't do anything. Another one of her techniques is a close-range move where she generates a lot of uh, pressure in her feet before springing up forward and punching homeboys in the face. So she has uh, a lot of basic martial arts strikes just because she hasn't finished her training at the temple yet, but she is a threat and a force to be reckoned with. Even though her alcoholic, spaz-like personality wouldn't seem that way, she's a very nice person, always talking, always hyperactive, and that's just the way I wanted her to be, because I always kind of like the those characters and those personalities. And the, that's the basics of Violet. Uh, I'm just going to quickly go over the people that aren't KJ and Mary Jane, just because KJ and Mary Jane are kind of like the initial people, everyone else you see throughout Volume 1. So I want people to read the script chapters and enjoy the story, so we'll go over like the basics. This chair is so loud. Uh, the next person to join is Peyton. Uh, Peyton Tony Dakota Swanson Jacqueline is her full name, and you'll learn more about why that is her full name if you read another random tale. But Jacqueline, or Peyton, is a part of an assassin's clan called the Jacqueline Clan. This is another race of people that I call pure Pangeans. Pure Pangeans are people who came to the Nine Nations. And, like I said, there were other people, just very small populations of people. And the Pure Pangeans are clans that have techniques and abilities, kind of like just ninja arts, essentially, that are secrets, only them. No one else can learn them because the secret does not go outside of the clan. And they also did not breed with people from out that weren't Pangean from their clans. So that's what makes a Pure Pangean, pretty much. So Peyton is an assassin. She's also a high-class assassin. If I had to rank the main characters currently, Peyton is definitely the strongest person on the team. She's the most skilled. She is the oldest at 23 years old, I believe I made her. And she just drastically outclasses everyone with her assassination skills. She uses a giant boomerang. And yes, I did get the inspiration from uh, Sango from <laughs> Inuyasha. I fucking loved when she used the giant boomerang. I thought it was really cool and really interesting, so I used it as Peyton's weapon, an idea for Peyton's weapon. And she also knows some basic martial arts, like some palm techniques when she is unarmed. Her whole uh, family ninja technique, it is known what it is, it's just not known how they do it. It's pretty much, uh, they're called, it's called Jacqueline Arts. So with the Jacqueline Arts, they're based off of uh, illusions that trick the senses, essentially. So one of her most basic things is called Zero Sensation. And what Zero Sensation does is mask her presence to a point where it's like she vanished, and you can't hear her. Like, even if you see her, you can't hear her footsteps. She can mask that, pretty much masking any senses, senses you would get off of her. Like, if she didn't want to be seen, she could hide it. If she didn't want to be heard, she can hide it. And it works perfectly for her as an assassin, because that's how they get the kill. Also, she can even do this to her boomerang. She can mask her boomerang's uh, sound, so even if it's, like, loudly cutting through the air, you wouldn't hear it coming until the last second as it slices through you. Another one of her moves, it's uh, an offensive move that she's done a few times now, is called the Illusionary Swing. And the Illusionary Swing is a move where she throws her boomerang, and it silently cuts through the air, and the attack looks like it misses whatever it intends to hit, kind of swings around it. But then seconds later, the target uh, is slashed. 
So it's an illusion that kind of tricks the senses into thinking someone wasn't hit, even though they were. So this is good for mix-ups, especially when it's mixed up where there's zero sensation. So a character as OP as her, I had to find a way to limit her. And for plot reasons, she is limited. And it goes into her character backstory as we continue to read uh, another random tale. It's also the idea of her being kind of nerfed for some strange reason is introduced in Volume 1, though she doesn't like to talk about it so far. So as you read through another random tale, you learn bits and bits more about it. So the next character we have is Frankie, uh, a.k.a. Francine Evergreen. And she is actually a thief. She is a criminal, but she's like a friendly criminal. She was only doing thievery, and she's known as the Blessed Widow. And she's highly skilled, highly good thief. If I had to rank her, she'd be the second best person on the team. Uh, she is also the second oldest. And pretty much the way she joins the team is they visit a prison, and one of the nation leaders helping the team throughout the story uh, recruits her and puts her on probation. She knows Frankie is a good person and Frankie's just a thief stealing, but she's never actually physically harmed anyone. And there's never been a report of anyone she's robbed being physically harmed. They've just kind of been detained or incapacitated. And she's an asset to the teams. So Frankie joins the team essentially on probation, but there's more to it. Oh, and with Peyton per Peyton's personality, I forgot all about that. With Peyton's personality, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with Frankie because they're kind of opposite. Frankie is, or Peyton is the type of assassin you wouldn't expect to be an assassin. I kind of got the idea off of Blackstar. You know, Blackstar's from Soul Eater is like really fucking loudmouth, but he's an assassin and he's actually pretty good at it. But he just boasts too much and he's super loud. It's kind of how I got the idea for Peyton. But instead of Peyton being kind of loud, it's more of the confidence and ego thing. Like, Peyton likes to show off. She's very attractive. She's beautiful. Uh, she's known as the Heart of Gold Killer. Because <laughs> uh, she's also known for being pretty kind. Even though she's very stuck up, she likes to act elegant, uh, high class, like she's better than everyone. She's very selfish sounding and self-centered. Just qualities you wouldn't expect from an assassin boasting about herself a lot, but she's not as loudmouth as Blackstar is. But that's where I got the idea for her being kind of like that self-centered person comes from. And it's the opposite of Frankie's, because Frankie's kind of more of like a weird character. She's a thief, but she's uh, very quiet, even though she does seem to show emotions. You can understand the emotions that she's expressing when you talk to her. She kind of always has like this straight face. She's kind of relaxed, always kicked back. Uh really sneaky as well, probably, like I said, second best person on the team, only, you know, being second to Peyton. She's also really good at sneaking around and masking her presence. She likes to suddenly pop up in the middle of conversations and freak people out. She's she's weird. She likes joking around even though she wouldn't seem like it. And she just kinda has this strange personality that's like, dude, why are you why are you acting like that? But it's something that will eventually grow on you. That's kind of the idea I had for Frankie. I wanted her to be like, oh man, it's this criminalist, this thief. And then upon meeting her, it's like, this girl is weird. And I, that's something I, I thought would be cool for her character. Uh, her weapon is wires. And the way the wires or thread works is she can wrap them around things. 
swing off, used in the swing, like Spider-Man swinging off a web, things of that nature. And the way she controls this is through her uh, powers. She is classed as a Unitheist. Unitheist also come from Pangea, and this class of people is a, a religious group of people, essentially. And they were persecuted against because they only believe in one single god. But in the Nine Nations, that's kind of less of a thing. There are still people kind of racially biased against Unitheists, but uh, it's not a big deal now. They're not, like, super persecuted against, like, you can't walk down the street and be attacked or anything like that. And the reason why I classify them as their own race because they have a strange ability that seems to be related to either faith or willpower in themselves, which is why Unitheists believe in a single god so strongly. It activates strange abilities in them that is directly linked to their faith. So with Frankie, she's not super religious because she's uh, a criminal. She grew up on the streets, but she has a lot of faith and willpower in herself, and that's how her powers work. But a lot of uh, Unitheists activate their powers through religion and prayer, which is also kind of where Frankie gets the names from her abilities from. Her ability, her style is called Book of Wrath, and... This gives her various abilities with her wires. One of them is she, it's called Lash of False Power. She wraps all her wires together into one, kind of making it look like a thick whip. And she fucking cracks people with it. It's a very powerful move. She also has a move where she can wrap wires around minor wounds and it'll heal them. It's just kind of her ability, basic abilities from the wires and faith. Her abilities are based off of something, and the reason why they seem so varied and versed, because usually with Unitheus, it's like, this is their ability. And it kind of seems like magic, but it's powered through faith or willpower. And we'll get more into Frankie's, because it links up with uh, her backstory, but that's the basics of her powers. Seems a little weird, but once you learn about what they actually are, it kind of links up a lot better with who she is as a person and why she acts the way she acts. Uh, so the next character that, character, character that joins the team is Winter Grants. She is the third oldest person. She's 19 years old. And the way I made Winter's character is she's very intelligent. Like, she's super, super smart. Like, she's already a doctor the age of 19. I wanted her to be the smart character. And Winter's also uh, a very modest person. Like, uh, if people praise her, she's like, ah, you don't need to praise me. She's uh, super overthinking. She, she's very smart, but if, you know, they have, like, a question, she'll, you know, try to answer it, try to make a theory, but then her theory leads into another theory, and then she counteracts her own statements, and she kind of just gets into this constant loop of contradicting herself. Even though the contradictions and points she makes are valid, it kind of just goes on and on and on and on, and they kind of have to snap her out of it and get her back to reality but she's all around a really nice person she's i wouldn't say she's clueless about the world like kj is but she also seems a little naive ish or gullible she's also very skilled because she's grown up uh learning the ways of a crossbow because that's what uh her mother's weapon of choice and hobby was her late mother and she usually is out defending her dad's construction sites. Her father is actually a famous construction worker that has built very sturdy structures throughout the Nine Nations that hold up through even the craziest of disasters. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of competition 
doesn't like that, so they try to, you know, sabotage it. So Winter's built up a lot of strength through protecting her dad and using her crossbow. She also likes to make modifications to the crossbow. She mainly is a, a doctor, you know what I mean, like medical doctor, but she's also very smart when it comes to technology and crafting and invent inventing, even though it's not as on par with her medical uh, knowledge. So she likes to make modifications to her crossbow, which goes into her fighting style. And she has moves that sometimes, early in, introduced to her character, break her crossbow because they're too powerful or had too much force. So later on, KJ, who also nerds out along with her a lot, that's how they kind of bond, uh, builds her a better crossbow, a more sturdy one, due to him being a blacksmith. And then she's able to experiment on it without having the worry of breaking them all the time. Uh, one of her cool, or one of her initial techniques that she uses a lot is called shot bolt. Her style is called a uh, configuration, essentially. And this, essentially, her fighting, her whole fighting style, because she doesn't really have any powers, she's just a normal human being that just happens to be really smart. Uh, her fighting style relies on modifications to her crossbow whether that be adding, like, a scope, which is another configuration she does to kind of make it more sniper-like, uh, modifications to bolts, modifications to how bolts fire, like, with shot bolt. Shot bolt, she shoves a bunch of bolts into a compartment of the crossbow, and she's able to fire all the bolts at once in a spread. This limits the range, but has a lot of destructive force, like a shotgun, thus the name shot bolt. This is one of the first moves we see her use, and when she does use it, it breaks her crossbow because she can't build a sturdy enough one. She's an inventor off of trial and error and overthinking, and even though she may seem kind of really weird and a mess when she uh, goes into her tangents, she's a very reliable member of the team, very powerful, has a lot of know-how, and can fight with the best of them. Probably the third best member on the team. I'd probably put her close in a tie with Violet. But uh, she'd probably edge out Violet just because... Just experience and intelligence. As of now. That's that's where I would put them. I'm not trying to power scale them. But that's pretty much Winter's character. The last member to join the team... She joins the team at the end of Volume 2... Is Princess Zoe Allens. Uh, Zoe hails from the uh, a kingdom that's in... One of the nations. It's a kingdom kind of closed off from people, even though, you know, they work with the government and work with bounty hunters sometimes. The Allen's kingdom are descendants of an ancient, uh, an older race of people that inhabited the nine nations long, long ago. You can consult the timeline to learn more about that, but that's where their powers come from. The Allen's powers, uh, they have the ability to create force fields and barriers. These barriers act as sh temporary shields that can you know, take a lot of damage before they break, or they can be used, you know, they're essentially like force fields. So they repel stuff, so you can, they use it to strike people and repel them back. So their whole fighting style is based off of uh, the whole, the whole Allen's family uses shields, and they generate force fields around the shields. So it gives them a powerful defense, and they use a style of fighting that involves pivot striking, so they'll pivot their body and strike with the shield with the force field stacked on top, propelling enemy damage and attacks, and also smacking into them, dealing a lot of damage. So Zoe is the princess of uh, the Allen's kingdom. 
And the thing uh, that's really unique about the Allen's Kingdom is the reason why they're so closed off from people and kind of act on their own accord in business is due to the fact that they believe emotions are kind of a bad thing. Like, they don't like having emotions cloud their judgment. They're very calculating people. So uh, they kind of nurture kids at first because you kind of need to nurture kids at a young age for them to grow up stable. And then when they reach the age of five, Zoe included, they show their true nature and train the kids super harshly to the point, because everyone's like very militant, like everyone in the Allen's kingdom is ready to fight. So they're trained and stripped of their emotions, like their family doesn't show them any emotion, they're very calculating cold people, and they don't see it as a bad thing, they see emotions as something that is necessary in early stages of life, but to actually survive from there, those need to go away. They see it as a weakness. So when we meet Zoe, Zoe's Zoe uh, is not like Frankie. Frankie, well, Frankie kind of acts like monotone and chill. She has a chill nature to her and a chill attitude that shows personality, even though she's doesn't seem like it. Even though her face might seem like it, she has like these really deadpan jokes. She's weird. She likes to do weird things. She has a personality to her. Whereas Zoe, when we meet her, is like a robot. She's like a machine. It's on to the next job, on to the next job. And she's very young. She's the youngest member of the team. She's like 11 years old. But she's very strong. She has a plan. And they kind of compare her to like an old lady with how like serious or strict she can be. But there's this sense of like coldness from her. It's like wow, this girl has no emotions whatsoever. <laughs> and it kind of leads into, like, one of the first little plot conflicts that I want to write into the story. That's not, like, super entangled to the main plot, but it's something I wanted to write in for her character and to open up a lot more about her. Because since she's so, like, robotic, we had to... I had to start writing with, like, okay, who is Zoe? And that's kind of a lot of the basis of volume two. With a lot of the first arc, every volume has like the main plot going on, but it also has like, it focuses on a character. So you get to know them a little more, they get some growth, you get their backstory. And that's kind of how I've been writing the first arc of Another Random Tale. So I have uh, the first four volumes written as script chapters right now. So if you want to read them, you can go on Facebook, go to our project's page, give it a like, message me. I can email those to you. I'm always looking for criticism and feedback to see what I can do better, what I'm doing wrong, what people liked, what people didn't, etc., etc., etc. I like getting viewpoints from multiple people. It helps you grow as a person and as a writer because you might not always necessarily see your mistakes, if you know what I mean. And that, that's, that's the cast, that's the plot, that's ideas for the world. That's uh, ideas I've created. I just wanted to talk about Another Random Tale for a little bit because it's something I'm really passionate about making. It's like the story I want to write. It's the one I haven't scrapped or given up on because I really do believe in its, its success. Like I said, as of now, I don't have comics actually made yet because I need to get a official illustrator. I have someone that does illustrations for me. She does great, great artwork, but she I only do commissions with her because she lives in Italy, and she also has a job at an animation studio, so I can't just, like, employ her full-time. I also can't afford to do that, 
But uh, I'm looking for a way to set up some kind of agreement or deal with someone, like an illustrator or something, where I can pay them for their work. And if they're super into the idea and really want to work on it with me, like someone that I I can have chemistry with to work on this story for the long run. And I still plan on using uh, Illustrator for commissions, but just for other things, other projects, other drawings, maybe like artwork for like just the page in general for like uh, profile pictures or other project ideas. But as for an Illustrator for another random tale, I do not officially have one yet. I do have a few people that I want to talk to that I know are good artists, that I know can do good work, that live near me. (laughs) I just dropped my phone. Sorry. That uh that live near me and I can probably work out some kind of payment plan with. So I want to work on that and continue the growth. I actually got a good amount of new page likes today. I'm trying to get another random tale out there more, which is why I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to get the idea out there more and let you guys know what I'm working on. And I don't ask anyone for money just because I don't have anything to show, so why would I want someone's money? Uh right now this project is just being worked on for free. Once I officially do move into the comic book process and we know what we're doing, we have a steady process for it and can get the ball rolling, I might want to try to make a Patreon just so I can get some uh, crowdfunding for it. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Right now, all I'm looking for in terms of support is just, you know, liking the page, spreading the word to your friends, uh, reading the script chapters to give me some feedback, things of that nature. We're still really, really early in, but the progress I've had over the course of uh, almost two years now, I feel like has been drastic, and I'm glad I took those steps to move forward with this idea. And I hope it can evolve into something really, really good one day. Um, So, God, I probably sound choked up. It's it's something that's really near and dear to my heart. This is is what I want to do in the future as a goal. And I feel like KJ is my baby, man. I've been working on this story for so long. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that, give a little more insight into me. While I'm so passionate about anime and cartoons and movies and stories, like, I love writing and creativity. And this is just the basics of what I'm working on. Like I said, if you want a more detailed explanation uh, and you want to support, give feedback, please, please go to Art Project's Facebook it's uh, Art Project, that's spelled capital A-R-T, then space, capital P, and then the rest lowercase, Project. Art Project. You'll see it. The uh, profile picture has a logo that says Art Project. It just has art as an acronym because that's what another random tale spells out, and that's why I wanted to name kind of like the company Art Project. So that's the logo, and around it are the faces of the main characters of another random tale. You'll know it when you see it because you'll see the art project and you'll see those characters kind of circle around it in the collage, and they're all black. Like, (laughs) uh, another thing in the world with Thray, everyone is black. Not a racist, I'm not trying to be a racist thing or anything. Uh, I just wanted to address that just because I'm a black guy. I like black representation. I like making stories that represent, you know, people like me because we, we, People want a lot more black representation, and we want to do it in a way where it's like we're not being written in the stories for the sake of black people being in stories or having characters be rewritten as black, already established characters. It's like I wanted to create something original. 
with original black characters with different personality, not like stereotypical black personalities. Because black people come in all different shapes, sizes, colors, shades, and personalities. We, we vary greatly. And that's why uh, these characters in Another Random Tale are all like that. I wanted to bring a lot more representation for my peoples. So yeah, that's about it. That's all I wanted to get into. So like I said, go ahead, like Art Project's page if you want to support, if you want to see artwork from the artists I'm doing commissions with, if you have any questions, comments, uh, want to hook it up with some help with an illustrator, if you're looking to help me edit, if you want to read the script chapters and get feedback or criticism, I greatly appreciate all of that. And uh, next week, we'll be going over some more, like, in general, nerd world topics. I just wanted to talk about this real quick. I wanted to do a podcast about stuff I'm personally doing. So next week, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about some games, some anime, like I usually do. But that's going to be all for now. And I'm also thinking of doing a thing now with uh, closing out with, like, music or songs that I like just to throw out an artist or, like, a group that I enjoy. That I think the intro will always be the Dragon Quest thing, especially since we got the better version of the Hose Mad. But um, today we're going to close out with music from a band called La La Larks. They are from Japan. Uh, the lead singer used to be a part of a band I also really enjoy called School Food Punishment, but they broke up a few years ago. But La La Larks is a band, and this is one of their earlier tracks that I really, really love. It's called Self. It is in Japanese. So if you want to look up the lyrics, you can look up La La Lark's Self. Great song, though. Great lyrics. Great message. Really enjoy the song. Some of the music I listen to when uh, I'm writing or working on stuff. I also listen to, you know, like hip-hop, rock and roll, all of that kind of stuff. Just music that I'm into. So every week, I think I'll have, like, a different artist, and it'll vary. It could be something in Japanese. It could be something rap-related. Things like that. But just trying to put you guys onto some good music. So, uh... I'll see you next week, and we're going to close out with Self by the La La Larks. So thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Thanks for supporting me. Spread the word of Art Project everywhere. Love you guys. Have a good one.